0: to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. Welcome
1: to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick. And as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, COVID, security, well being, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find. So just send me an email and I respond to everything I get. Alternatively, you can find me at alexfullick.com. It is that time again for another chat with Regina Phelps. Regina, we got lots to talk about today. So welcome back. It's good to see Thank you.
2: Thank you. It's good to be with you as always. It's already been 30 days. Who knew, right?
1: I know, especially because the, the time before, it felt like a month and a half or something <laughs> or two months we didn't talk. But we did. A lot to talk about. Oh, yeah. We've got lots there. Um, uh, First, let's do our usual uh, update, our first segment, what we usually focus on uh, for now, you know, and hopefully not forever, but for now, um, our first segment will dedicate to COVID. Um, Mm -hmm. What's going on?
2: Well, you know, you know, it's always feels like some days like it's one step forward and two back. And I think it's one step forward and maybe a step and a quarter back right now. So as you well know, there are variants blooming everywhere. So Omicron is having lots of babies. You know, it was uh, the original Omicron is BA1, and now there's BA2, which is 30% more infectious than BA1, which was 70% more infectious than Delta, which was 40% more infectious than Beta, and so on and so on. So, uh, but Omicron is really segmenting a In all kinds of ways. So BA1 is the original, BA2 is the current one, which is now actually uh, the most common strain in America. But BA2 is also having babies. So there's BA2.1, there's BA2.2 and 0.3 and 0.4 and 0.5. And BA.2 also is having babies within the BA2 range, which is BA2.1, BA2.12, and so on. Uh, Here in the United States, BA2 and BA2.12 is actually now the dominant strain, which only took about 30 days, which is quite remarkable actually. So we have a lot of cases, but I'll just say uh, overall, Alex, I don't know about Canada, which I really want to hear about, but here in the US, we are beginning to fly blind. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, first of all, in the United States, there are a variety of testing centers throughout the United States that have already started to close down. This is very reminiscent of, of um, July or June 2021. Uh, and so that's made it difficult for some people to get tested. But there's a large number of people that are just testing at home. And those are not be required to be submitted to the government. So you know, if people are positive, we don't know. So if you kind of think about what are calling uh, called the indicators of infection, the first thing you always look at is cases, uh, and our case numbers are now ticking back up in uh, the Northeast in particular, Puerto Rico, a couple of other parts of the United States, but for the most part, it's not significant. It's not like a gigantic, huge Omicron rave. It's just this nice little uptick that we're seeing, but we really don't know what that means. Because, of course, we don't know about home testing. Uh, So it's uh, our first indicator. Our second indicator is hospitalizations, which are now in many parts of the United States flat and in some places going up, but not going up astronomically as they did with Omicron. They're going up modestly. And so you're seeing that in the Northeast, you're also seeing that in some places like Ohio, a few other states, it's primarily now just hospitalizations and not ICU admissions. The death uh, toll in the United States is still extremely high, but uh, I think we're now just at, I'm gonna get my numbers correctly, is it we're at 520 deaths yesterday. Now for many places in the world, that would be an astronomical number, but here in the United States, Uh, we've often had a thousand plus. um, And in fact, we've had that for months on end. So we are now seeing a modest uptick, but the question really is, is what does that mean? We have a huge potential wall of immunity. So still embarrassingly, we only have 67% of Americans that have gotten two doses. uh, Mm -hmm. And only about a third of that have actually gotten a third dose. And now they're administering fourth doses for those over the age of 60 here in the US. And that's because there is waning immunity that really begins around month four or five. Uh, However, let me just also say why I'm on that theme that the mRNA vaccines in particular have been very effective at reducing hospitalizations and deaths but they are not stopping all infections. And I think the sort of the bad news is, is when the vaccines were sold, if you will, kind of sold to the public initially, the the results were so great, you know, the 90 percentiles that everybody thought, you know, there'd be no no chance of anybody ever getting infected, which of course that hasn't panned out. And we certainly are seeing that uh, here in the United States. But we also, not only do we have this wall of immunity from vaccine, modest as it is, 67%, But we also had about 40% estimated U.S. uh, population (laughs) that were infected with Omicron. 40% of 330 million people uh, in the last big wave. I mean, it was huge. uh, And there were subsequent large numbers of deaths and hospitalizations that went with that because there were so many sick people. So overall, how are we doing? Um, I think you could say, knock on wood, we're kind of holding our own. But I also am reluctant to say that, you know, it's endemic and life is great, because that's not true. Uh, Although you're seeing some talking heads in the public saying that it's not true. So we're kind of in that weird space. So I'd love to hear about Canada. How are you guys doing?
1: Well, much of what you said is happening here as well. Ah, ah. Hospital, some hospitalizations are going up. Um, Mm -hmm. Deaths seem to be uh, you know, <clears throat> you know oh, oh, down, going down. Um, the what you mentioned about uh, home testing—that's mm-hmm. um, a big thing. Is it the same thing? Testing centers have closed down mm-hmm. or are closing down, um, and <clears throat> if they're still open. They're so few now; people aren't even bothering to right. to go. What's right. the point? Right. Um, parents who, uh, and uh, others who are getting sick are just using the. Uh, test kits that their kids got from school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, they're not going anywhere. And so they're not reporting anything mm-hmm. um, because my niece got COVID. She was diagnosed on Monday. She okay? Uh, yeah. She just mm-hmm. has a inconvenient cold as, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it gets, she hates it. She said, but you know, it's cold. She can get through it. She's, mm-hmm. she's fine. Otherwise turned the household upside down, but you of, know, course. She,
2: <laughs> of course, of course, of course.
1: Yeah, so um, it, it's interesting. We had an uptick as well, uh, about two days after you and I spoke the last time, last mm-hmm, month. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then two days, everything was just all of a sudden sky high. Mm-hmm. And then it seemed to have dropped and leveled off just as fast.
2: Yeah, that just, was the weird thing about the Omicron wave here is it's exactly the same thing. It went up and then it just fell like a rock. Yeah,
1: and <clears throat> what's happening because I've talked to you know some of my neighbors and uh, other people I know and um, I think what's happening now is people aren't bothering too much with going to get tested or finding out if they've got it or not. It seems people are just, you know, I've got the sniffles or sore throat. You know, I've got mm-hmm. a couple of the <clears throat> symptoms. I'm just going to assume I have something and I'm mm-hmm. staying home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you mm-hmm. know, and people within the home are either. <clears throat> Immediately kicked out, <laughs> you know, if their test is you know, right. or, and go stay with a friend or something like that. Because um, mm-hmm. I have a a work colleague who did that, you know, um, the son wasn't home at the time, but uh, he had tested positive for COVID, mm-hmm. and so he told his son, "Don't bother coming back home. Go stay,
2: <laughs> go stay with friends, right? <laughs> you know,
1: go stay with friends." And and that's exactly what happened. I think people are now just assuming. You know, I've got something. Right. St- sorry, I'm just going to stay home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. All the uh, mask mandates and uh, um, travel restrictions have been lifted. Mm-hmm. There's very, there's mm-hmm. the odd one here and there, um, but uh, if there is anything that still exists, there by the end of the month, there's all going to be gone. Yeah. Um. So that's really where things are with vaccines. You you mentioned 67 percent. We're we're at uh, well over eighty-five percent. Yeah, you're
2: way better than us. Way better. Yeah,
1: you know, and and I think I've said it before. <clears throat> with the pocket that's left is the the deniers anyway. So I don't think we'll ever reach reach them. You'll ever get a hundred percent. Right. So um, I I think that's as high as we're gonna get. You know, mm-hmm. for, for that. Mm-hmm. Um, was there anything else uh, interesting? Um, oh, they, there is a fourth booster for fifty. Oh, years.
2: for older. What's the age cutoff in Canada?
1: Uh, 50 and above. Oh, okay, great. Um, but most everybody, you know, that's getting the fourth has already got the third. And it's those people that are already turning right. around and saying, and oh, there's no point in the fourth. If I got the sniffles, I'm staying home, they're the group that's kind of doing that. Mm-hmm. The fourth booster is mostly being focused on the the elderly and people that have, um, you know, like diabetics or have some yeah. other condition and things like that. Right. That's who's, who that's <clears throat> really focused for right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's really what's happening here it's becoming a way of you know what right after two plus years we have to learn to live with it and people are adjusting what they do and right at the sniffles and people Wait. there are still people who wear masks mm-hmm. you know you still see a lot of people in, in, either in the mall or shopping the you know, grocery stores things like that and so far it seems to be okay i haven't heard any at least where i live haven't heard any issues of people yelling at each other. You know, you don't need to wear your mask, blah, blah, blah. You know, people seem to be respectful of it. <clears throat> you know, I don't have to wear a mask. Good, I'm not going to. I'm happy. If you want to wear a mask and you feel you need to, you're happy. And it, I don't know, it seems to, you know, there, there's still some tension and everything after two and a half years, you know, social. Not not, right. But. You know, but um, that's really where things are here up in the Great White North.
2: Well, you know, so so I still wear a mask when I'm in shop, if I go grocery shopping or, you know, maybe after doing this for so many years being a disease person, I just, it's hard for me to stop. So I'm still doing that. And I'll be wearing a mask on a plane um, for the long Mm -hmm. and probably foreseeable future and maybe forever because that way I don't get sick. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because well, even though planes do have good ventilation systems, there are still all the studies that document that people two rows in front of you and two rows behind you and the two row, and the rows on the other side, that's still a zone that you're going to be infected by in an aerosol transmission disease. So, yeah, so I think it's it's fascinating to see what's going on. i When you think about what's going on in the world, it's it's important to stop and and look at that just for a moment. I know I'll be aware of our time here. So it's still a big issue in Asia. So if you look at South uh, Korea, for example, if you look at um, many of the countries in Southeast Asia, if you look at China, there's a huge number of cases. And of course, China is really, something to watch um, simply because they have a low vaccination rate. It's about 57% for the country there. They have a huge number of people over the age of 80 that have no vaccines at all. It was not encouraged for those people. And I think part of it was there was some kind of bold assumption that it would never go to China in any significant way. And so right now in Shanghai, it's still been locked down now for almost four weeks. It has huge impacts, not only to China, but also to the world because of the supply chain, which I'll talk about in just a second. But then the other issue is is that uh, they're not quite being 100% honest, if you will, on the death toll. So they're talking about having 19,000 cases yesterday uh, and the death toll in Shanghai of 26 million, three times the size of New York City is only 10 people. And the way they count deaths in China is that they have to prove that COVID actually kills somebody. So if you look at many people who have died with COVID, they have heart disease, they've got diabetes, whatever. In China, that means that you didn't die of COVID, you died of whatever uh, underlying conditions you have. And so the numbers are not reflective of actually what's happening on the ground. So uh, I think that's a significant issue that uh, we'll never really know, to be honest with you, what happened in, in, um, in China. I do want to talk just for a moment about, um, where would that go? Hang on a second. I want to talk about the um, the uh, map I wanted to share with you about um, what's going on in Shanghai. Uh, can you see uh, this particular black box with a
1: um, little yes, dots on it? Yes, I can.
2: Yeah, so this actually I posted on my LinkedIn page today. And actually, there's a wonderful uh, site that does kind of interesting displays of information. And if you look at this chart, what it shows you is the difference between the number of ships waiting off of the Shanghai port between April of 2019 and April of 2022. Now this happens to be uh, one of the largest ports in China. And so if you just stop and look at that as it sort of goes and toggles back and forth, you can see there is a large number of ships that are there on uh, 22 that you do not see in 2019. Uh, There's about 500 ships apparently right now outside of the port of Shanghai waiting to either offload or load um, um, goods, And then there's also another, if you just extend the map going farther south, you'll see that this is also in these other uh, areas south of Shanghai. Again, these are all ships that are queuing up for the ports in those areas. The reason I think that's important for all of us in our business, our world of business continuity and crisis management is thinking about the issues to the supply chain. So when you stop and think about that, think about, you know, the things that your company is waiting for. Maybe also you personally, maybe you ordered a couch, you know, that you still haven't gotten. Well, I just want to have you all think about the fact that some of those things aren't going to be showing up for a period of time, uh, probably a lot longer than you might've imagined. This is really causing the world to really think about where things are getting manufactured because in our global supply chain, if you stop and look at how much is coming from China, Uh, And now we certainly know this after two plus years, but now we're going to really feel it even more significantly than we have at any time in the pandemic. So this is a big thing for us to think about in our business. You may not think about or care about, you know, the disease outbreaks in China, but you need to stop and think about the supply chain issues. I had a friend of mine who just said they went to Nike uh, just a couple of days ago to buy tennis shoes and they had hardly any shoes in the Nike store. Why? Well, where do all those shoes come Mm -hmm. from?
1: Right. Over and so,
2: right. So you may think that you don't have much skin in the game, but in reality, for many of us, either uh, our companies might be affected because we don't have merchandise to sell or you can't get things in uh, such as chips and other things to manufacture what you need. But also just in your own home use, uh, there's going to be a lot of things that are not available. And that's just simply going to make costs go up even more because inflation, of course, as we all know, around the world is being driven by the pandemic but also the war in Ukraine.
1: Yeah, and for anybody uh, that was listening on Voice America, the map that uh, Regina showed, it looked like an astronomical uh, what, astronomy chart. That's what was
2: Right, talking. right. So, yeah, it looks but, like a constellation of the Milky Way or something.
1: Yeah, there were so many dots there. It was unbelievable the amount of ships.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: some of those ships, I'm sure, are dropping things off, but I'm sure many of them are trying to pick things up. Exactly right. To, to bring back to Europe or North America or wherever it is they're going. That's right. And, and that is going to increase. Right. So they, right. Because they, they, there's still some ships going there. Right. So, right. so the backup is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Right. And that's only going to continue because this,
2: this lockdown in Shanghai has been about three weeks and they expect it to go on for the foreseeable future. So that's another thing that we just need to be thinking about in our profession is that we need to be closely watching things like supply chains. And when you look at gathering situational awareness for your company to make decisions, either at time of crisis or, in this case, this protracted crisis, these things are really important
1: to monitor. Mm-hmm. And I, I can imagine many organizations now are say, well, let's not deal with China. Let's deal with right. something. Using America or Canada, you know, let's see if there's something uh, north of the border or south of the border, rather than something comparable and just cutting, uh, you know, getting something cheaper from China in the long run is not helping us.
2: Right. Right. And, you know, it's also interesting. I mean, you sort of look at the war and you said going north of the border or south of the border. You look at the, the case of the war in Ukraine and the impact on many of the goods that are available in Ukraine are also, by the way, available from the nation of Canada. And there's been a shift of where people were buying wheat and certain minerals that you have in Canada that are actually also in Ukraine, that now people are actually looking to Canada as the purveyor of those supplies rather than Ukraine, which of course they can't get them from. So it's interesting how these conflicts or these diseases end up sort of shaping how we all look at where we can procure what we need for our business.
1: It's interesting. You, you just mentioned that looking at Canada, you know, for additional wheat, you know, our winters, we can't do anything. Right. <clears throat> Excuse right. Me. You know, but there is talk, you know, are there greenhouses or some, I, I read this one article, super, greenhouses or something so that they could do something winter mm-hmm. because when I was at the grocery store the other day I went down the aisle that houses you know all the baking goods the flour and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff mm-hmm. and the prices you could see mm. had gone north right right it, so it, it, it was unbelievable because that's exactly what happened when the pandemic started right People we're at home they didn't know how long so they were baking with their kids and, and cooking right. you know that's Kind of not happening right now, but still those prices are going north.
2: Right, because of the war in Ukraine, which is one of the biggest wheat providers in the world, right? Yeah. So we are, this just goes back to really demonstrate that we are so all interconnected in this global economy that, you know, one person, one country sneezes and the rest of us get a cold.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. On that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. We are talking with Regina Phelps today about all things you can tell COVID war and we're actually going to be talking about cyber attacks and ransomware and how to do an exercise in our next segment we'll be right back
0: become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune in to Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Bullock. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected.
1: Welcome back. Today, we are talking with Regina Phelps. And for this segment, we are going to talk about ransomware. Regina, why don't you tell us what ransomware is? Well, I'd be so delighted to talk about this. Um,
2: <laughs> you know, I'm not a cyber professional, I'm not a technology professional, but one of my skill sets is I'm an exercise designer. And I design about a hundred large, ex- large exercises a year. And um, in the last eight years, I have probably done uh, of my hundred every year, uh, about 70 of them have been cyber related and increasingly now almost all of them are ransomware. And that's of course where a perpetrator enters your systems. They actually take uh, a certain amount of data and encrypt it and then hold it for ransom. Uh, They can also encrypt everything or sometimes depending on your, your networks and your segmentation, it may only be a particular database. But this is a significant issue and has really risen dramatically in the last few years. And what I want to do in this segment is I want to kind of build a case about why it's so important. Uh, and I'm sure that every executive has already been hounding you to do a ransomware exercise at your location.
1: Have you done one at where you're at right now, by chance, Alex? They did one just before I got there okay. uh, as a walkthrough. And uh, basically, it scared the um, <laughs> a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, high on everybody's mind right now.
2: Good. Well, and it should be. And again, what I want to say is because of the war in Ukraine and the threats that Russia in particular has issued to many large corporations, but also in particular energy uh, companies around the world, primarily that are pushing electric electricity and gas in, in cities and counties, but also then utilities that deal with water. Uh, they've been heavily uh, targeted. And um, that's a big concern. Uh, And there's actually been some bulletins issued by the FBI in the last two weeks in the United States about this issue. So the thing that people always kind of debate is, could this really happen to them? And of course, I want to say overwhelmingly, the answer is yes. Um, I don't really care how good your security is. Uh, Anybody that uh, wants to get in has a way of doing that. Uh, And uh, last year is a really good example. Uh, There has been a huge increase last year in ransomware attacks. And A 48% increase just in the UK and a 233% increase uh, globally and 127% of it's been ransomware. So it's, it's a big deal. And the reason that it's such a big deal is that there's a lot of money in it. And in fact, there have been articles of street gangs giving up selling drugs in Los Angeles and simply going to ransomware. Because by the way, if you've never gone to the dark web, you can go to the dark web, and there are ransomware services that even have a help desk to help you deploy it, honest to God. Uh, Right, right. I mean, they have customer service 24 by seven. Yeah. So uh, who's most commonly attacked when you look at this particular slide, for those of you that are able to see it, and if not, I'll just tell you. uh, Education in particular has been heavily uh, targeted as retail. What, Business why, of, why education? That, that, uh, because, that there's, because, you know, you know why that? It, because of homeschooling during the pandemic. Oh, oh Yes. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, in the U.S. and in many countries, again, kids were all at home. They were getting all of their education by um, Zoom. And it was heavily targeted. And most schools have pretty ineffective cybersecurity protocols. So that's why schools have been, and, and it's been a big moneymaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, business and professional services. So that'd be like attorneys, you know, those types of business services, governments have been heavily targeted in the U S but also it organizations, uh, energy. Uh, so utilities, for example, manufacturing, you've seen a lot of manufacturing be affected healthcare. oh, hospitals are in the United States are still getting just plummeted with uh, ransomware. And can you imagine you go to the hospital you're there for a surgery or you have some sort of illness and all of a sudden they're hit by ransomware. They can't uh, find your, can't do x-rays. They can't see your x-rays. They can't give your drugs. It's a huge deal.
1: Hmm.
2: Uh, local government's been heavily impacted in the United States and then also some financial services. So it's no more, do you remember when ransomware first came out, it was really like attacking people's home desktops, right? Like oh, all, yeah, yeah. And they were making like a hundred bucks or 500 bucks. Uh, Well, you know, they have migrated to big, big things now. They're going after major servers and server farms. Uh, Many of my clients who have been targeted have actually had social engineering where they have been actually trolled for a a long time. And they know exactly. They sent you an email, Alex, because they knew your interests. And then they eventually got you to click on something. And then they were able to place software uh, malware into your machine. And then and they're targeting people who have administrative passwords. So they're not stupid. Um, hmm. And that's the thing that's really scary, I think. Uh, the big trends that happened in 2021 were things like supply chains. You saw that with a colonial pipeline in the United States. You saw that with meat packing places. Double extortion means that they ransom, they take, they take your data, they encrypt it, but they've also exfiltrated it. So they can hold the data, uh, and, and say that if, you, and, and if you're not sure of your backups, you're likely to pay the ransom. But then now they also have the data, so then they can come back to you for another ransom because they also possess your data. And so they're basically double ransoming you. Uh, ransomware as a service, is, that's exactly what I was talking about just a minute ago. And that is where you've got individuals who literally are selling ransomware on the dark web, it's a very sophisticated business with a 24 by 7 call center, and they actually will assist you in every aspect of deploying it, including selling you mailing lists and other things like that. Just pretty incredible. Wow. Uh, they're attacking unpatched systems. There are still always unpatched systems. And, um, you know, that's a, that's a chronic issue that's occurring in most companies. And how do you get those things patched? How are you keeping track of them? Uh, and it can, it can be an easy way for someone to get in. And then the last one is phishing because people sometimes just can't help themselves and they click on that link, right? Humans are the weakest link. And many of my clients do phishing um, uh, targeted um, uh, practices, if you will, or attacks of their own to see who, who clicks on things. And sometimes there are people that are chronic clickers, right? They just can't mm-hmm. stop themselves. Mm-hmm. What do you do, Right.
1: Yeah, they do that where I'm working right now. And, oh, do they? Uh, they they oh, actually right. and so far I've got them all right. Um, oh, good. See one <laughs> looked it looked kind of fishy to me. I actually reported it as fishing, but it wasn't. <laughs> 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 but they still said, you know, thanks for doing this because that means you're you're really alert. You and like, good. Phew, I didn't want to get in trouble imagine. for it. That. <laughs>
2: That's great. Well, you know, I think the the thing is that it. I tell <clears throat> people don't ever send me links because I won't click on them. And I don't care what, it, who it is or what it looks like. Uh, and, and some phishing emails are very sophisticated now. You know, they're not like, uh, but you always have to look at the email return address. You just, you know, you have to be smart in order to not fall, um, fall to it.
1: I, I've never said this on the show yet, but uh, I, at least not that I can remember, but I actually thought the original email from Voice America about doing a show for Voice America was a phishing attempt <laughs> because it had links. It was worded well. Um, I, you know, it didn't seem out of place at the time. You know, five years ago, you were getting those emails where everything was spelled wrong and right, 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 of, right, right. You know, and this one wasn't. Mm-hmm. So I looked a lot of the stuff up offline to find out. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, is this legitimate? And found out, but I actually thought Voice America was a phishing. <laughs> <attempt>. <laughs>
2: Don't take that personally, really. Okay. I know
1: some of them are listening right now. (laughs)
2: Yeah, right, exactly. We didn't mean it, really. (laughs) Well, you know, this goes back to, I I think when, when hacking really first became, you know, known to the average person in the world, everybody thought it was some kid in a basement doing it. But now there's really just two groups of people that are really the big hackers, if you will. And that really is organized crime because there is money to be made. And also nation states like Russia, uh, South Korea, North Korea, excuse me, Iran, um, different countries in Africa. Nigeria is always a bad uh, uh, bad actor in this space. And also you can have employee, employees who will sell their um, administrative passwords. I haven't been able to find, find an, an update of this study that Fortune did in 2016, where they reported that one in five employees would sell their admin password for 150 bucks. I bet it's more money now, but yeah. I mean, but people will do that, right? Um, And so uh, it's a big deal. It is a huge deal. And um, yeah, what can I say? And I think, you know, when you look at cryptocurrency in particular and the fact that people can have a ransom in Bitcoins, that sort of makes it easy for someone to be able to do ransomware because there is not a traceable source. And until that gets resolved, ransomware, uh, as we know, it is not going to go away anytime soon. Uh, This particular quote I love because it actually came from uh, McAfee from the chief scientist and actually in 2016, but I think it's spot on. So this is something you should be sharing with your executives. When, When you think about how likely it is to happen, the issue is this, is that we need to accept that we will never eliminate all risk, that nothing is permanently safe. And even if we could, it would be far too expensive. And so you might have the best cybersecurity program in the world. You might have the best professionals and the best everything. But let me tell you, if somebody wants to get you, they can spend the time and energy, especially with social engineering, and they can have you. It just takes a little bit more time. So that's what people need to understand. If you're a big fish or you have something super interesting, they can get you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... um, I just wanna quickly talk about what a ransomware exercise is and what it's not, and then we can take a break. it is not a technology exercise. And everybody says to me, oh, gee, I want to do a ransomware exercise, but it really is about technology, isn't it? I said, no, no, no. Technology is the underlying theme in a ransomware exercise. If you're doing a crisis management and a business continuity exercise, if you're doing a technology exercise, of course, it is about the technology. But if, I, you know, if you're doing a crisis management or a business continuity exercise, it's the underlying theme. It's what the exercise floats on. But it's not about the technology because it's about the impact. It's about the impact of the business. And your job as a designer is to basically create a story of where what we're talking about is the impact. And there's two ways of kind of looking at this, and I'll just give two quick definitions and then we can stop for a break. Um, When companies, uh, what you normally plan for and what we do for a living, all of us in this field is really what's called routine emergencies. And what we're really talking about is a crisis emergency. So these definitions are from Harvard. I think I might've shared them on your show before. Routine doesn't mean that it's easy, but it's things that you have planned for. Like you plan for a fire, you might plan for a severe weather, you might plan for an ice storm, or you might plan for an earthquake. Uh, But that's something that you've planned for. You've got training, you've got prior experience, uh, and you've thought about it. You've got plans, exercises, all of that. So it's in your You know, it's what you do, right? It's what we do for a living. It's very different than a crisis emergency, which is really what a true catastrophic ransomware attack is. And it's distinguished by novelty. And by that, I mean, there are, are, first of all, a threat you've never encountered before. You've never lost all of your systems or a big part of your systems for who knows how long. I mean, that's what you need to plan for in a ransomware exercise. It could be days, weeks, months. It happens often at unprecedented speed. All of a sudden it's there and then it's not. And then lastly, there's a large confluence of things that are going on. And there's tons of misinformation. There's a lot of confusion and it makes it a perfect storm. And so it is ultimately in the Harvard definition, a crisis emergency. And because you don't have plans for this, I would ask all of your listeners, open your business continuity plan. Do you have a section that says, Sustained technology outage, meaning days, weeks, nothing. And I will tell you, none of my clients, none have that, unless they've gone through an exercise like this. Because they all assume they're going to get it back in their RTOs, right?
1: That's what I'm finding right now. Everything's built on assumptions. It's like, no, no, no. Right,
2: that you're going to get it back. Well, you know, in a ransomware exercise you're not getting it back. And so that is a key thing. And that's one of the things that you need to really think about when you design an exercise, you need to highlight this so that you need to really put some energy on that in your plans. Three things, you know, what do you do for sustained technology outage? What do you do if you lose data, lose data, you know, I, I, I worked I do a lot of work for the financial industry. And we just did a huge exercise, cyber, for a big retirement organization, and they were going to lose seven days of data. Seven days of financial records when the stock market is going up and down and people are pushing money in or taking money out and you can't prove anything. Mm-hmm. That's how you go out of business, right? Yep. Oh, my gosh.
1: And a lot of those groups all assume technology right. will bring it back up. They'll right. find that data. It's like, no, right. it's gone. Right. How are gone. you creating it? Right. You
2: know? And there's, and unless you have a plan for that, it ain't happening. Yep. And the third thing I expect to see or I want to see in a plan that I also don't see is how do you validate the data? Yes. Because, yes. right, especially in things like numbers. I work a lot in pharma. What about drug recipes? Well, gee, what if I just moved a decimal point or I changed a number? Okay, that could be a big deal, I think. I don't know.
1: I do that with all tests. <clears throat> Anytime there's a user and technology, all the time. Yeah, you can see your data. You can get into it. Tell me it's what you expect to see. Right. It's working the way you expect and, it. That it's and how right.
2: are you going to do that? And that should be documented in your business continuity plan. Yeah. So on that note, I think we should stop, and then we'll talk about the 10 critical elements that you need to have a good
1: ransomware exercise. On that note, we'll take a break, and we're talking with Regina Phelps. We'll be right back. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of
0: interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune in to Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Bullock. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath, emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's info at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected.
1: Welcome back. Today, we are talking with Regina Phelps. Regina, we're going to talk about 10 critical elements that make a ransomware exercise work. Absolutely. So
2: these are important. And then what I want our listeners to be thinking about is that you should be writing down and thinking about these as we go forward. And this is based on, again, my experience of doing hundreds, probably right now close to 500 uh, ransomware exercises over the last seven years. So I, we have, again, perfected this model. Um, so the first thing is, is that it's critically important that you get management support and I cannot emphasize this enough Um, And what I want you to be thinking about is that you need to say to the, you know, the most senior person you can get in front of is that this is going to be a very uncomfortable exercise and people are going to be really miserable in the Mm -hmm. whole exercise, right? Um, There's going to be a lot of stuff going on. There's going to be, I'll just tell you right now, I don't know any of your listeners, but unless they're clients of ours, but I I would bet that they don't even have 40% of what they need to have. And what that means is that when you design a really good exercise, it's all going to just pop out. And so I don't want people feeling uh, like they're thrown under a bus. I don't want, I I want the executive that kicks off your exercise to say, wow, it's going to be a very intense experience. We're going to make a ton of mistakes and it's going to be great because we're going to learn a lot. So I want them to understand that they're going to go to this experience. And at the end, everybody's going to feel like they were hit by a truck. I think that's great because they're gonna walk out of that room and they're gonna get a heck of a lot out of it. So I need to say that to their face. And so that's what you need to say, that this is not a witch hunt. We're not blaming anybody. We're not blaming technology. We're not blaming information security. Uh, We need to just show everything and that's how you're gonna get better. So you have to get management support at the highest level you have the potential to talk to and say, it's gonna be bad. (laughs) <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's great that it's gonna be bad, right? That's what you have to say, really important. The second thing that's really important is you also have to make sure that you have a willing technology team helping you. For you to design an exercise that's gonna really expose all of the issues, you need to understand kind of where the holes are and where the problems are, and they know. And so they need to understand from you as the designer that you are not gonna throw them under the bus. And I am so clear about that when I talk with people because I want them to show me where the problems are uh, and where we can really highlight that. Because if you can highlight those problems, then at the end, the executives are going like, well, what do we need to do to fix this, right? Uh, that's how money gets thrown at people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's been my experience is that now they understand how bad it could be. And so you need the team that's on the technology design team. And I'll talk more about that in a bit to understand that I am not gonna make them, um, they're not gonna get blamed. I'm not gonna make them look bad, but that's what they're afraid of. That's what they're gonna be afraid of. And I need them to tell me everything where the bodies are buried. And my job is to protect them as the designer and the facilitator. And that's what you need to be doing. Uh, They need to know that you're gonna be their ally. And that's really important. And I'll talk a lot about the design teams in just a minute. Right now, as a matter of fact. Uh, When I design exercises, so I am an expert in exercise design, but I am not an expert in the company who hires us. So I, when I design a cyber exercise, ransomware in this case, I need to have two design teams uh, to make this work. Uh, The first uh, design team is called the technology design team. And it's uh, comprised of the usual cast of characters that you would expect. Um, So infrastructure, network, databases, key applications, um, now, the, some some web uh, folks, uh, information security, and they're going to really help me nail down the story. So, essentially, what they do is they, in my language, design what's called the bones of the story. So, essentially, what they do is they tell me kind of, uh, and the term I would use is above and below the line. What does that mean? We actually, I we have sample narratives that we give them. We give timesheets, all of that. And above the line is all the stuff that would have happened to let this attack occur. So maybe 30 days ago, somebody was able to get into your system. uh, uh, Maybe it was a form of malware that's either a zero day or maybe they did get somebody admitted passwords. They were able to look around your environment, see what's interesting, see what they might want to acquire or encrypt, uh, deploy all the malware, get it all ready. And then on the day of the exercise below the line, it starts. And then in that case, what they do is they tell the story and they tell it with timestamps and impact. So at 8.06, the malware was deployed. Immediately, the website became uh, unavailable. And then you can go through and you can do other other issues. Maybe key applications are not available, key databases. And then the way that begins to also be affected is that now the help desk is receiving phone calls because they, your users, can't uh, actually obtain that information, right? So you you basically line out the story from the technology perspective, but they talk about the impact to the user. Database is not available, files missing, website goes down, active directory not available, emails can't be sent, whatever it is, this whole story is built. But you can't design the exercise if you don't have the bones. And that comes from the technology design team. Then we have what we call our usual design team, which are the business. And they're going to tell the story of the exercise and the attack through the injects. Injects are those things that basically take the baseline narrative and move the story forward. So in the beginning part of an exercise, as you all know, I'm sure you'd have a baseline narrative. That would be told by the technology professionals, and it's basically what's going on. What moves the story forward are what are called exercise injects, and that's all based on business impact. And so it depends on the narrative as to who's going to be on the business unit team. All the key lines of business you would expect, but you also might have HR because maybe you've lost your HR database and now it's been encrypted and maybe people's information is going to be available on the dark web. Uh, Maybe facilities and security because maybe you've lost your cameras or you can't badge in or that kind of stuff, right? Communications. So what you do is that those business unit folks will be working with my team to literally develop the injects that tell the story of the exercise. So two design teams are really important. A lot of people don't use design teams, which I think is a huge mistake. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how much you know about your company. You do not know everything. And the best exercises have great design teams. And our exercises knock it out of the park. Why? Because they're designed by the people that know the stuff, right? And that's what you need. It's well worth the time and energy to do that. Um, It's all about impact. I know you think it's about technology. It's all about impact. And so I'm looking for the impacts that make people want to cry. (laughs) (laughs) When, When people hire us, Alex, I say, okay, you need to understand that at the end of the exercise, they're all going to be crying. And they go like, really? And I said, yeah, they're all going to be crying. Uh, and I'll, I'll explain a lot about that uh, in our next uh, next month about why crying is so important. Not really crying, but miserable. I'm looking for miserable <laughs> at the end, right? So it's all about customer impact. Because if you ask a Uh, corporate executive, I will tell you the number one fear that they have is that this is going to be a big reputation and brand killer. So I need to have customer impact. I want to have call centers that aren't able to answer uh, customer queries. I I want pain that your customers aren't getting what they're paying for. Uh, and it's also great if it can be have employee impact. So maybe you do have employees who've lost their social security numbers or their, you know, personal data or their banking information because from direct deposits. Um, and then um, what about reputation and brand? And I'll, and I'll talk a lot about that next month about how to really push that. Because every executive, their number one fear is it's going to get in the media and it's going to impact our reputation and brand. And in some industries, the reputation is everything like in finance. And so that is super important. So social media, all of those things are really critical when you do a designer well done exercise. And the way you focus on exercise is because you've got a killer business unit design team that designs injects that are spot on. So it, it's, it's like, um, again, maybe uh, we have a date of an exercise where you've got certain financial things that are due or you've got certain... Um, Uh, certain things in your business stream. We pick a date that's for the scenario that's going to make it more impactful. We have injects that are highly specific to date and time because, hey, you know, we had the right people on the team that could write them. We will also sometimes have artificialities where we'll take really critical people out, like the technology person who knows everything, right? So you want to be really thoughtful about focusing on impact and making sure that you have really got the right people on the design team to make this work.
1: We got one minute left.
2: Right. So what we're going to do uh, in, in going forward is to really explore all of this. But I just want to say that the most important thing that we do in our business, and I'm talking about our business, the totality of crisis management and business continuity, is design a highly refined exercise that will knock it out of the park. That's the best and most important job you have as a business continuity or crisis management professional. I want people to walk out of that room and have what I call the, oh my
1: God moment. And on that note, we've come to the end of today's show. However, if you're listening on Voice America and you want to hear what numbers five to 10 are, please come over to the Preparing for the Unexpected YouTube channel because we're going to film a little bit extra bonus uh, for those that come over to YouTube. So other than that, thank you very much, Regina, for joining us on Voice America. I really appreciate it. Another month.
2: You're welcome, Oso. Great to be with you as always.
1: Yep. And uh, we're going to talk again in a few minutes and record our little bonus session. Again, come on over to uh, YouTube, Preparing for the Unexpected. And to everybody in the meantime, stay prepared, everybody.
0: Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.